Hi, it's Ariana. Hi, it's Greg. As a listener to Climate One, we know you care about how climate disruption is affecting all of us now and into the future. I'm guessing you already do several things in the spirit of climate action. Here's another one. Giving a donation to us to continue bringing you shows about the causes and solutions to the climate crisis. You can do that at climateone.org slash donate. We offer all our podcasts and radio shows for free, but it takes time, effort, and resources to produce new episodes every week. When you give, you help us pay for the talented staff, equipment, and materials we need to make the show. And you'll join a group of other dedicated funders and community supporters who keep Climate One on the air. If you're inspired by the guests and conversations we curate, please consider making a gift today at climateone.org slash donate. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening. This Climate One podcast is sponsored by General Motors. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. I'm Greg Dalton, and today on Climate One, we're going to Silicon Valley to ask if tech companies can be cool and green. As the web moves to the cloud, there's growing interest in how internet data centers are powered. When you visit a web page, does a poof of black smoke go up somewhere from a coal-fired power plant? Over the next hour, we'll look into how clean your clicks are and hear what grades Apple, eBay, Facebook, Google, and Yahoo get on renewable power. We also will discuss green energy moving into red states and whether environmentalists and technology executives are shouting at each other or sitting down and having a beer together. Along the way, we will also include questions from our live audience here at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. This program tonight is sponsored by Carbon5, a boutique software consultancy that recently remodeled the new Climate One website. On the show today, we welcome four guests. Gary Cook is Senior Policy Analyst with Greenpeace International. Lori Duvall is Global Director of Green at eBay. And Christina Page is Global Director of Energy and Sustainability Strategy at Yahoo. And Bill Weil is a sustainability guru at Facebook. Please welcome them to Climate One. (laughs) Gary Cook, a few years ago, Greenpeace launched an unfriend coal campaign aimed at Facebook. So tell us why you did that and how that campaign unfolded. Sure. Thanks very much. Uh, well, about 2009, 2010, we were looking at uh, you know, how do we get off of coal? So looking at who are the big drivers of electricity demand. And certainly what came up on our radar was the fact that the IT sector uh, is a, has a huge energy footprint and was growing very rapidly. If you aggregated all the, from our analysis, if you aggregated all the demand of electricity from the cloud, and so just really the data centers and the networks, and ranked it among countries, it would rank you know, about fifth or sixth in the world. So it was quite significant. And we saw uh, many, many companies in the sector were growing very quickly, as we might expect, and were actually growing in places that were actually increasing demand for coal. Facebook actually happened to be one of those companies. When, uh, this is like 2010. And so we uh, were concerned about this, thought it was a real opportunity to uh, challenge Facebook to do better. We thought they were an uh, IT company. Uh, very uh, iconic brand that people were very uh, 
emotional about you know, sharing their lives with, uh, they could do better. And so we challenge our supporters and challenge Facebook users to ask Facebook to unfriend Cole. And uh, had a, quite a bit of uptake and you know, ultimately it led to uh, a, uh, you know, as part of the campaign engagement with Facebook. And uh, they, I think, you know, had a different perspective at first and then realized that we in many ways had a, a very similar analysis of what the opportunities were and have seen a real change from them. In, uh, in the inter- intervening time. And they became the first company to go 100% renewable power on their data centers, is that right? They were the first one to commit to be 100% renewably powered. And so they sort of set a, a bar for others to follow. And we followed up and began sort of having, uh, has seen Facebook embrace that challenge, uh, challenge other major companies in the sector to also embrace that. And, and so in, in 2012, uh, we were... Uh, knocking on Apple's door and asking them, uh, as they were growing in many of the same places uh, that Facebook was growing, uh, well, look, Facebook has done this. They, you know, they're not, not saying it's going to happen overnight, but they said this is important, and this is some, a, a guiding point for us, the North Star, and we're going to start to work on these, these goals. Uh, why can't you do the same? And actually, they, they what, took a few months, but they uh, also <coughs> embraced the challenge, became the second one to be, uh, commit to be 100% renewable. And Bill, while I'm not sure if you were actually at Facebook, you might have still been at Google, but what was your response when uh, Greenpeace started putting this pressure on, on Facebook and, and uh, you can, in words you can say on radio, uh, what, was your, uh, what was your response? So first, thanks for having me here, having all of us here. Um, so I was not at Facebook yet when Greenpeace started that campaign. Um, one of the, I think the the wonderful things, maybe ironic things about it, is the fact that they used Facebook extensively for the campaign. Um, and, and it was very effective. So those of you who are looking to run campaigns, Facebook is a great way to do it. Um, uh, so, but, but I think that, that one of the things to, to start with is I think we actually agreed on the problem and on a lot of the things that were needed even before they started the campaign and before we started talking with them on, on what a lot of the potential solutions are. Um, we'd started um, before, in fact, that campaign started, we'd started down the road of how can we reduce our footprint? And the, the place to start if you're building infrastructure and using, using energy, using electricity, is to first ask, how can I use less? So we spent a lot of time worrying about how can we make our infrastructure much more efficient? We designed and built our own data centers and our own servers. We now design and build our own network, uh, network hardware as well as data storage hardware. Um, and as have a num- number of our other uh, peers in the industry over the last number of years, um, we then open sourced those designs so that others could take advantage of them. Um, what we hadn't done at the point that Greenpeace started the campaign was really begin to look seriously at where does the energy we still consume, even though we're really efficient, come from? Uh, it's not just about our mix. I mean, the, as Gary said, the, the IT industry is significant in its energy consumption, but it's still, I mean, it depends on how you count, but, you know, single digit, two, three, four percent of global energy consumption, electricity consumption. Um, the big consumers are still industrial operations and so on, um, and, uh, you know, transportation and things like that. So we're, there's a lot we can do, but really we need to move the entire economy to a, a, a lower carbon. And so Facebook has pledged to be 100% renewable. How much is it renewably powered today, and when will you get to 100? We haven't put a date on 100%. Um, 
but we are committed to getting there at some point, and we're not talking about 40 years from now. So 10 years, 15, I don't know exactly. And part of the reason for that is we don't want to compromise and um, say we're at 100% by doing something that actually doesn't really change the mix on the grid. Um, so we're really focused on trying to make sure when we do it, we do it in a way that has very strong additionality, that, that if we're going to contract for green energy, that in the process we're actually putting new renewable energy on the grid as much as possible. Um, uh, we did set a goal two and a half years ago to be at 25% clean energy for 2015. And as of a couple months ago, it's now 2015, so this is the year to, to see how we're doing. I think we'll, we'll surpass that. Um, and our goal is to then increase that in the, the coming years uh, and hopefully very quickly. Lori Duvall, uh, Greenpeace gave fairly low marks to, to eBay, a D for renewable energy commitment and a C for deployment. Um, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you're planning to do, a response to those grades and, and, uh, from, from Greenpeace, if you agree with them, and what your plans are for getting greener. Well, you know, like, like Bill explained, I mean, Really, the history of eBay and as we've expanded our footprint, a lot of effort went into data center consolidation, really pushing the envelope on how you even measure the efficiency, not, of the, not just of the entire building and that houses the entire data center, but actually looking at what kind of work your data center is doing and how you can optimize. You know, when you, when you buy something on eBay, how much carbon does that, does that use? How much does it generate? How much energy does it use? How can we change our coding infrastructure to make things more efficient? You know, we, we store all of these pictures and descriptions and all these things, and storage is an enormous part of our footprint. So how do we, how do we optimize that? And, and you know, in, in fairness, I think, you know, eBay has only just dipped its toes in the water as far as sourcing cleaner energy specifically for the data centers. I mean, we have a history of, of green building and, and have some nice installations on site at some of our campuses here in California that, that granted, we're, we were actually, you know, incented to do that. And we, we took advantage of those incentives. But over time, you know, we have looked at um, ways that we can really focus on the data center. You know, and again, I, I agree very much with, with Facebook's approach of, yes, we could go out and buy you know, certificates or, or green power options from, from utility providers, but what we really want is to be adding new, cleaner power uh, when we can. So that's a bigger investment, and it has been a more complicated and difficult sell into the company as this has happened. Plus, um, you know, all of us in the data center business are, are changing the tires on the cars that's rolling down the road. I mean, you, you, you make some progress, but then you go and open another giant data center, so then you kind of have to start all over again. I mean, we did, I mean, I, I think one of, our, one of our biggest accomplishments in the last few years has been the last data center that we opened, we actually put an on-site installation running on fuel cells that are not 100% carbon-free, but significantly lower carbon than the grid power, um, which was not only a great investment on our part to lower our footprint, but to also uh, increase the reliability of the power going to our infrastructure because, you know, like all of us, we, you know, those are our factories, our data centers. They must continue to run and they must provide a level of reliability to keep the business successful. So, you know, yes, eBay could definitely have bigger and I have on, on eBay's behalf aspirations for us to make bigger commitments, but I also, it being as, when you're in our work and you're trying to get a company to make public commitments, um, it's also important to stretch yourselves, but also make it something that the company can achieve and demonstrate, yes, okay, we, we set a goal, um, we actually achieved it, everybody thought that was good, now let's set a bigger goal. And is it helpful or is it a nuisance to have uh, pests like Gary Cook sitting next to you from Greenpeace uh, 
um, you know, b- banging on or creating external pressure. No, it's, it's incredibly helpful for people in my role to, to have people outside of the company. You know, they may be saying exactly the same thing I'm saying every single day, but especially when you're a consumer-facing company, it's really valuable to have those outside voices, you know, bringing that to your executives because one of the things that they value very much is the quality of our brand and how people perceive us. And so that can be incredibly powerful. Christina Page, uh, Yahoo's been through lots of ups and downs. I think you've had six CEOs uh, since you've been at, at the company. How is it possible to, uh, to stay green when there's so many more pressing things going on with the company? Maybe it'll be bought by Microsoft. Where is it going to happen? So um, what happens to the green commitment when there's sort of those overarching corporate concerns? Yeah, I think over the last seven years, we've seen everybody having some pretty significant economic roller coaster experiences. And I think a proof point for us is, and it was 2008, in the middle of recession, we built and designed our most efficient and energy and water efficient data center to date, which is called the chicken coop. And we did that, was, we did that at a lower cost. We, did that, we built it in western New York, which was in desperate need of jobs then. And uh, it, it runs on about 40% less energy than a conventional data center does. And the way we do that, basically, it's a passively cool data center. It's long, narrow building. looks kind of like a chicken coop. Uh, and we open the windows 90% of the year. And whereas conventional wisdom with data centers, uh, up until very recently, is seal it up as tight as a drum and blast a whole bunch of cold air mechanically generated in it, and you're consuming as much energy to keep the servers cool as you are to run the, the servers. So, I mean... For me, a big part of the value proposition for green that makes it really robust is can you make an argument for it in favor of the bottom line, even in tough economic times? Mm-hmm. And the other side of it, I, I agree with everybody here in terms of we're all looking to drive new clean energy as much as possible and the different strategies for doing that. One of the ways we do it, uh, we most recently signed a contract for a brand new wind farm. Um, community-based in the Great Plains area, which is in desperate need of cleaner power. It's still very dependent on coal. And we do three things. We're driving new development of wind. Um, We're supporting local economy. It's a fourth-generation family uh, in Kansas that owns that. So the benefits from this project are going right back into the community. Um, And it's good for our bottom line. What we've decided is uh, this is a good bet against future price increases for power uh, in our data centers in the area. So that's something that's important little kind of triumvirate for our sustainability strategies is can you make a business case for it? And something like that's going to survive uh, all sorts of roller coasters in terms of internal and external economy. Thinking often is whether it's electric cars or more energy efficient light bulbs that green costs more than conventional or dirty. Is that still true, Christina Page? I think it's a common mental model. I think a lot of people, they assume that a greener building is going to cost more. And what's really exciting about this period is I think you're seeing amazing new innovations around financing, which is not the sexiest thing in the world, but it's something that Silicon Valley is really good at. You know, <coughs> Bill was talking about that. It used to be your options if you wanted solar panels on your roof were either just pay for it outright and look at a really long payback or take out a home equity loan. And now you, know, you can sign any manner of contracts to get power uh, without an upfront cost um, from solar. And same thing with wind. There are a whole bunch of different options for financing wind projects that could be attractive to CFOs who don't necessarily have uh, you know, sustainability front and center in their mind. Bill Weil, is clean always more expensive than dirty conventional? 
How is that changing? Uh, absolutely not. Um, I think that, that there, there, there are two broad ways to be cleaner. One is be more efficient, so use less energy. The other is make the energy you do use greener. Um, and being more efficient, um, in many cases, saves you money. Sometimes it requires capital up front, but then you save money on the operating costs over the life of, of whatever the asset is, the building, the server, whatever. Usually, the, the total cost of ownership is less if you make it more efficient. And sometimes, actually, and I think in the case of the chicken coop design or the way we design our data centers, it's actually cheaper to build the building. Yep. So it's lower capital and lower operating costs. So it's just a win no matter how you look at it. Um, on the green energy front, five years ago, um, in most places, it would cost you more to, uh, to use green energy. Uh, today, with the cost declines we've seen in solar and, and what we've seen in wind as well, which is partly through technology improvements, partly through in economies of scale, um, in many places it is cheaper to use clean energy than it is to use the, the sort of standard grid mix. Laurie Duvall, if, if this is an economic uh, case these days, it seems like that's a pretty good case to go to the CFO of eBay and say, hey, we can do this. Well, and certainly... Um in that installation I talked about it when we did our last data center in Utah, um, actually that saved an enormous <clears throat> amount of upfront cost in the construction because normally you build these buildings and you put this equipment in there and you, you buy all this infrastructure in batteries and uninterrupted power supplies and generators to make sure that if the grid goes out, the data center keeps running. But in this model, we actually use the grid as backup and have a different primary power source, which saved us you know, millions in capital costs up front because there was a whole floor of the building we didn't even have to build. Um, and so, and, and you know, something Bill said that, that has really, I think, been essential in changing this conversation is really getting people to look at total cost of ownership and lifetime operating costs. That's how you get a lot of green buildings built, because you show people that over time, yes, maybe you're investing a little more in a couple of features in the building and construction, but if you look at the operating costs, much, much lower over time. In the old days... Um, you know, we were sort of balkanized, and they thought of us as the crazy tree hugger people over there. And, and getting a meeting with the finance people was was pretty difficult. And now um, it has become a much more normal uh, part of the business. Same is true for people who have electric cars. You, yeah. with electric cars, it's cheaper to run on electricity, but you don't have transmission fluid, oil change, spark plugs, yeah. all those maintenance costs you don't have for the for electric cars. Uh, Gary Cook, let's talk about some of the companies that didn't score so well from Greenpeace in terms of Silicon Valley. Those are the IBM, HP, uh, Cisco. They're companies that tend to do more business to business. Uh, why do you think those companies don't fare as well when it comes to clean energy? I, I think uh, you know, the companies you just named, I think all of them are looking at how they can become uh, more sustainable. They just haven't had the same sort of commitment and the same, uh, they haven't put their money where their mouth is, to be honest. It's really been, uh, and I think that's starting to change for some companies like HP, I think, who is uh, you know, starting to make more moves. Uh, the company that you know, we think of as probably being the most, uh, falling the furthest behind has been Amazon, unfortunately. Uh, they're partially here, partially in Seattle. Uh, but they, you know, as many people may know uh, Amazon for the retail side, they actually host a huge part of the internet. Uh, so companies that we use all the time, like or brands like Netflix and Airbnb and Yelp, and uh, formerly Climate One, but no longer. But yes, yes go ahead. You know, <laughs> good job. Uh, you know, or rely on Amazon for their infrastructure, so they don't own their data centers. They just go to Amazon. So 
Uh, people may remember last week we had the you know, big online debate about you know, what color is that dress, the clearly blue and black dress. Uh, that was on <laughs> Tumblr. Uh, and that's an Amazon company. So is where that, you know, what that was actually driving, where most of Amazon has their footprint in the U.S. is in Virginia, which is, you know, has single digits renewables. And so you're increasing demand for coal and natural gas in that state. Uh, so that's an indication of what really matters where the cloud touches the ground and what, you know, whether these companies have commitments to renewables. Bill, while one other way that companies can advance clean energy is using their financial money, their, their treasure, uh, the companies in Silicon Valley have uh, massive amounts of cash. Uh, Google used some of its balance sheet to directly invest in clean energy. Is that, that something that Facebook might do one day, to directly invest in technology or in companies like Google does? Uh, it, we might do it someday. Um, we are still quite a bit smaller than Google in terms of the, the size of our, our treasure, as you put it, um, as well as the number of employees. I think we're maybe a fifth or less the size of Google. So we're, we're growing really fast. We are still very early in the journey on, on many parts of our business, including the sustainability side. Um, and at the moment, in terms of staff resources, it would be, I think, not the most cost-effective, most impactful place for us to put our resources to, to focus on investing in either renewable energy projects in a major way or in, in clean energy companies. Someday, as we get bigger, quite possibly. Lori Duvall or Christina Page, something your companies would think about using cash, or is it more sort of operations? Is that something that only ultra-rich companies like Google can do? This, Christina Wright Page? This, this wind project is a 15-year contract, um, and so we think of that as being an investment. It's investment mm-hmm. in, it's basically um, you know, a financial investment in uh, protecting against future energy prices. So it's that kind of an investment. In terms of R&D investments... Um, it's not what you do. That Google's pretty unique in that regard. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I do think if I could just... It, it, it's... Um, each of us, each company is different. I think we each need to, to, and we do spend a lot of time thinking about where are the places where we can have the most impact with our money, with our people, with our brand. Um, one of the things that we've been doing collaboratively is working, it, you know, as I made the point that it's not just about our footprint and the energy that we use. It's really, in the end, we have to decarbonize the grid if we're going to deal with climate change. And that means we need utilities and other companies that use energy to change what they're doing. And so we've been working collaboratively with now, I don't know, it must be well over 30 companies and half a dozen NGOs to identify policies that would make it easier for us as big corporate consumers to buy renewable energy in a really meaningful way with real additionality and in a cost-effective way, Um, and then to work with utilities and regulators to change those policies. And that's a place where we have real power in the marketplace. It's not just about us investing our cash or changing our procurement. It's about beginning to change the whole market. Right, and utilities are pretty resistant to change. They like the status quo very well. Thank you very much. Just leave us alone. But it, how is, how's that going with utilities to get them to, to dance differently? You know, the utility industry historically, especially compared to Silicon Valley, is conservative and slow moving. And honestly, I think some of that is appropriate. You know, the lights are on here, and that's a good thing. And they're on partly because utilities don't change everything, you know, every five minutes the way Silicon Valley companies sometimes do. <laughs> yeah, we don't um, want you running the grid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. but, I, you know, some of them are more progressive and move faster than others. Um, I think that, that the interesting thing in the last couple of years, as we have banded together as companies and approached utilities as a group, um, they, they have 
responded and regulators have responded very differently than they did four or five years ago when, you know, when I was at Google or in the early days when I was at Facebook, we'd approach them as one company and they, you know, they'd listen and then they'd have lots of reasons why, you know, we can't really do that right now or we can't do what you'd like, but how about this other thing that didn't really work for us? Now with several dozen companies approaching them, um, they're listening in a very different way and the conversation I think is beginning to move. Uh, Lori Duvall, you actually, eBay had a law changed in Utah, and I want to talk about that and also get to, it's interesting that a lot of this green energy is happening in red states. Is that a coincidence, or is that something that's, that's by design, because Facebook went into Iowa, uh, eBay went into Utah, <laughs> North Carolina, Apple's there, so, but first, uh, quickly, Utah, uh, what did you get done there? Well, and, 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 you know, I think it was becoming kind of clear in this conversation is, is there's a lot of tools in the toolbox. And, and in that case, that was an opportunity. First, a recognition when we went into Utah, we thought, well, of course we want to try to have cleaner energy for the data center, but realized that it actually was against the law to contract with a third party in Utah <laughs> to buy clean energy. Um, and it was, a, it was an old law, and it was, it, I think, really intended to, uh, and went back to when the grid was being created. There was a good argument for restricting who was going to build the grid and how it was going to be regulated. But, um, and, and in this case, we actually were partnered with, with utilities, with a Republican state senator, um, with some other local businesses to actually make the case um, and, and get in front of the legislature and show them that it actually, not from a, a going to help the climate perspective, but from a true jobs, attracting new companies, having a healthier um, business environment in Utah, um, we were able to get the law changed. And now you can buy clean power, not just us, but anybody in Utah, including residents, um, including our employees, who are now able to put rooftop solar on their houses if they want to with a third-party company. And so, you know, it really shows you have to stay flexible in these conversations. Um, no matter what your personal motivation is, you have to understand who you're talking to and be able to make the case, whether it's taking the business case to the CFO or taking the kind of broader societal business impact story to a red state legislator, um, there are a lot of good reasons to make these changes. It's not just because it's the right thing to do for the climate. Um, that's a great reason, um, but it's not always the reason that motivates everybody. Lori Duvall is Global Director of Green at eBay. Our other guests today at Climate One are Gary Cook with Greenpeace International, Christina Page with Yahoo, and Bill Weil with Facebook. I'm Greg Dalton with Climate One. You can join the conversation on Twitter using our, our handle at Climate One. Uh, Gary Cook, uh, your thoughts on green energy in red states. Is that just a coincidence because that's where the extraction or the wind is, or is there something interesting happening there with, with uh, red states starting to realize these, these are good jobs? Well, I think you've seen, you know, from the stories you've heard so far where, you know, companies who are motivated have commitments to renewable energy, uh, this becomes part of the conversation when they're going to, to a new location. And for any of the brands here or many of the brands uh, elsewhere in the IT sector, especially from the governor's office on down, I mean, they, everyone wants to be the one that, you know, gets Facebook or Microsoft or whoever to come to their state. That's a, a big win for them politically. It creates jobs as the tax base. So it's a real opportunity. For, you know, those companies are saying, well, renewable energy is really important to me. You can actually uh, get you know, the politicians, and you know, Lori talked about the success in Utah, to become advocates for changing the rules in a way that allows them, the companies who are motivated to have better options. So I, I give you know, credit to Facebook. When they, uh, they build their third data center in the U.S., fourth overall, and when they went to Iowa, they, you know, they had made a commitment to renewable energy, had it part of their baked into their siting policy, 
and this uh, sort of you're able to use that in part of the conversation with you know going to to Iowa. And by comparison, uh, Nebraska, a nearby state, you know, weren't able to offer as much. And you had you know the the Republican legislatures afterwards saying, "Hey, we just lost Facebook to to a neighboring state. We need to actually change our laws because this is a we're losing business here. We're, we're not as competitive." And so. I don't know how much red state versus blue state, but everyone wants more jobs in their state. And if they're having a comp- you know, big part, the growing part of the economy is in more companies saying we need want renewables, that's going to have a big impact. Because it's not all up to the companies to solve this themselves with their own procurement. We need to change the rules so renewables can really take over the grid and we get rid of the fossil fuel generation that is, is currently uh, causing climate change. But still, uh, in some places, climate is a controversial topic. Uh, it's a political topic. And uh, we are going to play a clip of someone who was here recently uh, talking about this and then get your response about uh, some of the, the policy and politi- political implications. <coughs> this is the former uh, chairman and CEO of General Motors, Dan Ackerson, <coughs> talking about when he first got to the company and made a comment on climate. The first time I was interviewed by the press, I was stunned with the following reaction. Some guy says, do you believe in global warming? And I said, well, yeah, I do. Uh, several GM executives said, you don't say that in public. Well, <laughs> so that's the former chairman of uh, General Motors uh, saying that people inside the corporations that don't talk about climate in public. Right. Uh, Bill Wilde, does that happen in Silicon Valley? Is, is, is it OK to talk about climate or is it sort of? I've been talking about it in Silicon Valley for the last 10 years now. Um, yeah, Anyone I never tell you to shut up? Uh, not in... <laughs> not on climate, yeah. Yeah, I do get told to shut up occasionally. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you describe Gary as a pest, and I think some of my colleagues probably would describe me as a pest occasionally. But It's part of um, your job. Yeah. It's part of my job. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think this uh, climate is not a political issue. I think it, we're, we're a, a you know, technology and science-based custom, company, and the science is clear. So the issue is, what are the solutions? And I can understand with you know, the politics in a company like GM, where their business has for now, I don't know, 100 years, relied on uh, building machines that use fossil fuels. Um, if the solutions to climate change mean we have to get off fossil fuels, that threatens their business, or it means they have to change it. And so I can understand resistance. Um, we use energy, but you know it doesn't have to be from fossil fuels. It can be from wind, it can be from solar, it can be from geothermal. And we're focused on finding solutions that allow us to run our business and also help the rest of the grid run in a much cleaner way. Lori Duvall, uh, eBay was one of the companies that pulled out of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council's uh, organization that was actually trying to push back the renewable energy standards that you talked about. Why did eBay leave Alec? Well, really, you know, there there are these sorts of organizations, these these legislative incubators, as it were, they, they tend to have a lot of different things they're trying to do. And and eBay's original reason um, for working with Alec was really um, the work that we do around small business. And, and we understood that, and it had been a relationship that had been gone on for a long time, but it became very clear, and, and certainly as Alec became more vocal and it became uh, more obvious that they were pushing back on things that really matter to us, like renewable portfolio standards, like development of clean energy, um, that really became um, an argument we could make inside the company and say, 
you know, we understand that there may have been historical benefit to this organization, but now we see them in actually direct conflict with some of the bigger issues we're trying to tackle from a green perspective. And so, you know, it was a, it was a robust conversation we had um, about that relationship, but ultimately um, it was made um, both from a, yes, we don't want to be um, seen as contradicting ourselves, but, but not just internally for our own, you know, making us feel bad, but really more importantly showing that we actually are committed to, to the things we're committed to. We're, we actually do believe that climate change is a huge challenge um, and, and uh, danger to our own business, to our buyers and sellers, and so we were able to decide we needed, we needed to uh, sever that relationship and, and find other ways um, to champion uh, small businesses, which we will continue to do. And, and that is um, the job of our, of our government team. Let's talk about leading customers. Uh, Christina Page, there's one area where I think an intern or someone hacked up something on Yahoo Finance to show that uh, people looking at investments could also look at the sustainability of the stocks they're going to buy. And then we'll go and ask Facebook also. Uh, but what are you doing to lead your customers to be more green in addition to you as a corporation? Yeah, I mean, what, part of what we do, we get a billion visitors each month on average and part of what we try to do is provide them what they need um, you know provide them things that serve their daily habits so the the prototype the the the, uh, the Yahoo Finance green prototype it actually came out of a hack day we uh, every quarter uh, employees have an opportunity to spend 24 hours working on something that they're passionate about um, and so there's again a prototype of uh, of a, a green scorecard that you can see uh, uh, right up there with the, the stock price and the, the price earnings ratio. Um, I think in general, it's a power to let people assemble around issues that they're passionate about. We've got um, something called Free Cycle actually started on Yahoo Groups. Um, and it's this movement all over uh, the country and in other countries as well, whereby if you have something uh, that you no longer want, instead of sending it to a landfill, um, you can exchange it with other people, which is something the internet's very, very good at. Um, and so they have these free meetups. We actually do a free is good fair on campus every year um, in honor of that. But I think one of the things that we do really well is provide people with the information that they need to power themselves, including on uh, green issues. Gary Cook, you've been an advocate of something in a browser where, say, someone goes to a website, there'd be some kind of little, I don't know, clumps of coal or not, depending on how, you know, how clean or dirty that site was. Is it, is it possible that people, when they go to a website, they'll be able to have that kind of transparency and say, ah, this is a clean site, or oh, this is a dirty one, or is it too complicated to get that simple user interface? Uh, it's actually something we're working on right now. We are updating our, uh, our Click and Clean report that will come out in April, and as sort of just after that, we'll release a, a plugin that people can download and uh, you know, on the, when they're on the internet, be able to see you know, whatever site they're on if they're green or not. So that's, you know, it is complicated, but it's something uh, we've been working on for well over a year and we'll be releasing it um, you know, mid-April, mid to late April. We're going to uh, go to our, our lightning round. I'm going to oh, ask here uh, people a, uh, a yes or no question for Lori Duvall. Uh, Facebook's Clean Energy Pledge is a good way to burnish its, its image for people who think its privacy policies are creepy. I'm glad you're asking um, her, not me. <laughs> uh, yes. Said, I didn't say you might be next, but... Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> it doesn't make it bad. 
Bill Weil, Apple CEO Tim Cook is the leading CEO in Silicon Valley today on clean energy. Test be yes or no. Yes or no. <laughs> yes. Uh, Christina Page, Google is greener than Yahoo. Yes or no? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Uh, Gary Cook, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos cares more about low cost than clean energy. Yes. Okay. Thanks. You all pass our lightning <laughs> rounds. We'll give you uh, all A's. So, all so, as I t- tell my friends sometimes, that, you know, nuance does not win the messaging wars. So there was no nuance no. in those answers, <laughs> just to be clear. By design, yes. Uh, by, by design. Um, so let's talk about the vulnerability uh, of Silicon Valley. A lot of your corporate campuses are in areas where you may need to kayak to them in, in, in the future. Uh, Bill, Bill Weil, uh, Facebook is building a, a gorgeous new campus. Frank Geary is spending uh, a fortune on it. Uh, have you thought about the sea level coming into that beautiful new Frank Geary campus building? Uh, we worry about sea level rise. It's not just a problem for Silicon Valley. Um, uh, you know, I, w- I live here in San Francisco. We're in San Francisco now. I, I, you know, there have been problems at high tide events where water is coming up on the Embarcadero uh, you know, yeah. along the, the bay and going into the first floor buildings. So we're already suffering problems around here. Um, Long term in Silicon Valley down on the peninsula, it could be a problem. And there, there are definitely people. I'm not in, involved in the, the details of this, but there are lots of people in the communities, uh, in the cities, as well as all the, I think all the major companies that are based down there worrying about this. One of the ways to deal with it is to really address global warming and to reduce emissions and reduce CO2, which will slow and eventually hopefully stop sea level rise. Um, and then at some point, we're going to have to, to uh, protect ourselves more against it. Um, Laurie Duvall, some people think that the tech firms are so rich that they'll just pack up and move up the hill. Is it that simple <laughs> that, that Oracle could just kind of you know, build up on the, the, the hills and uh, sort of abandon at some point when, it, uh, when the water starts to come? Well, certainly, you know, we, we you know, yes, they could, but, but like us, I mean, a lot of us, we have millions of customers, and, and a lot of them live in, in vulnerable coastal zones, not only in North America, but all over the world. Um, our IT supply chain relies on areas that have been heavily impacted already by large weather events, like the floods in Thailand a few years ago. So, you know, yes, of course, we worry about our own company and our and our safety and and well-being of our employees. But you know, with, with some of these events happening, it's going to have a terrible financial impact on some of our businesses potentially. So, some of us who who write, you know, every year we we write uh, a response to what's called the Carbon Disclosure Project. And if you look in the risks and opportunities section of that, we we do address that. We do talk about. Um, our facilities and our supply chain's vulnerability and our customers, you know, we rely heavily on uh, logistics networks to, to make eBay and online commerce happen. And, and those could be heavily disrupted. So, you know, we do recognize it. Um, one of, that's one of the reasons we're committed to, to trying to work on this issue, um, not just in our own silo as our own company, but collectively um, to see what we can, what we can do about it. And, and the potential impact of sea level rise on us and even on our supply chain is probably much less than it is on many very poor populations yeah. living in close proximity to the sea in various places around the world. So we might have some impact at some point, 
And that's certainly something as a business that we, we have to plan for all the potential adverse events. Um, but the people who are going to be most affected soonest are the ones who can least afford to deal right. with it. We're already seeing that impact. Yeah. So he's here and it's now. Uh, I want to ask you briefly about water. California is in a big drought. <clears throat> We've been talking a lot about energy. Does drought matter to a tech company? Lori Duvall? Absolutely. How I so? mean, uh, you know, we, we certainly think about water availability when we do our data center siting and our, and our facility siting because um, data centers that use cooling equipment use water. Um, not only, you know, to, you know to, to cool the equipment, but just for the sake of, again, thinking about where do our employees live and what will be the impacts of the, of the locations of our facilities. So it's absolutely material. Gary Cook, uh, some data centers can be f- powered by fuel cells. Some fuel cells are powered by natural gas, which gets into uh, the, uh, the F word, fracking. So have you uh, thought about sort of fracking and connecting with uh, uh, powering data centers? Uh, certainly, a lot of data centers are being powered by natural gas, and some are using fuel cells, uh, you know, to power them. I think, you know, Lori, what eBay did in, in Utah was a good step, first step, because you know you're dealing with a state that's mostly coal, and they were able to use fuel cells to reduce their carbon footprint. But we need, we need renewable solutions, right. and we can't transition to natural gas because that's we certainly see the the impacts of fracking. And from a climate perspective, simply transitioning to natural gas is not going to save the climate. So right. it needs to be. And we move off as fast as possible. So you don't buy the, the natural gas as a bridge fuel argument, Gary Cook? No. Larry <laughs> Duvall? No? Well, um, as Gary said, it's an incremental step. It, it isn't a final solution. Um, and certainly, you know, back to drought. I mean, we all know that, that, you know, they do call it hydrological fracking for a reason. It uses an enormous amount of water. And so I think that is a long-term concern for all the communities that are doing a lot of energy development and, and around that technology. We're talking about uh, climate change in Silicon Valley at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton, and our guests today are Gary Cook from Greenpeace, Lori Duvall from eBay, Christina Page from Yahoo, and Bill Weil from Facebook. We'll be right back after this break. And now, here's a Climate One Minute. For some corporations, a commitment to sustainability means more than just recycling copier paper or giving out employee carpool vouchers. When Microsoft's sustainability director T.J. DiCaprio was our guest in 2013, she talked about the motivations behind the company's self-imposed internal carbon tax. And then, too, for energy that, that we can't offset is to purchase carbon credits and carbon offsets. And that's where, really, we started to take a look at forests and how we could preserve forests because it's such a way to approach carbon reduction at scale. And so to help with that, we put a price on carbon, and we charge for accountability purposes the different business groups through our organization, and then we collect the funds, and we use those funds to support the efficiency and the greening and the carbon offset project. The organization got behind it very quickly. We understand that you know, internalizing this external cost of reducing pollution, carbon pollution, and how we needed to take that into consideration for our own operations and the amount of good that it does. Not only does it make good business sense because it drives efficiency when you've got a price signal that's associated with your operations and consumption of energy and business travel, but also we're able to then use those funds and have such an incredible impact in different parts of the world and help developing nations accelerate in a low-carbon economy, and that was really a big, a big position for us from a citizenship perspective, is what, how can we have that impact on a global basis? 
That was TJ DiCaprio of Microsoft speaking with Climate One in 2013. This has been a Climate One Minute. Now back to Greg Dalton and our live audience at the Commonwealth Club. We're back at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. We're talking about greening Silicon Valley. Let's have our audience question. Welcome to Climate One. Uh, Tom Faremsky, Silicon Valley Watcher. Um, I was wondering if, oh, how do you take into account political moves, say, by the Saudi Arabian drop in oil prices? And um, is that making, uh, say, fracking and shale oil uneconomical and saving us from some very dirty energy? And, and do you take into account uh, the subsidies and political uh, margins in the price of energy when you do your long-term calculations? Dirty energy is cheap now. How does that change your job? Who'd, who'd like to tackle that? I mean, we certainly, I mean I, I, I mean, I guess what I can say, because I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in, in global mm-hmm. energy subsidies, but, but we certainly do take into account the information that comes out of organizations like the Energy Information Administration to look at, um, as we're predicting what's going to happen to fuel prices and to, consequently, energy prices as we forecast forward. Because when you're building a data center, you're not looking at the next three years. You're looking far into the future. And so, you know, we do try to account for that um, using generally the same, the same government sources that other people use to do those models. It's, Christina Page? Yeah, I'd also say that, you know, what we're starting to see is, I think, energy prices getting more global. You know, it's, it's typically been quite local. Coal tends to be local. Um, and so one of the things we're definitely looking at is what's not just increase in price, but like volatility of price. Right. CFOs never like to see volatility. Right. So one of the things that I think is a really strong argument, again, whether you're a really strong <coughs> on sustainability branded company or not, is how do you protect against future cost of energy if you're an energy intensive company? And in that case, Clean energy sources like wind and solar should be a really good play, not just for future price increases, but for that up and down roller coaster that nobody wants to be on. Next question, welcome. Hi, um, Gary Cook mentioned that Amazon Web Services are one of the worst for the green web. Are some of the alternatives such as Linode better? Is like if I want to have a web platform and I'm not a giant company who can have my own data center, what are my choices and what's the greenest choice? Gary Cook. So I think, you know, Amazon is providing, they're a cloud company. Uh, you look at the other providers out there, you know, their main competitors in terms of cloud services are like Google and Microsoft. Uh, Google is certainly way ahead of either one of those in terms of being a, a green platform because they are both uh, buying clean energy, they're advocating for clean energy policies, and they're actually uh, even using some of their investment, or we talked about earlier, to help support deployment. So uh, I would look at them if you're you know, looking for a place to migrate. But if you, look at, if you go to greenpeace.org forward slash click and clean, you can see our scorecard and uh, happy to talk further. Climate One moved its website recently from Amazon to Rackspace, which is, gets good scores from Greenpeace, 100% renewable. <laughs> Let's go to our next question. Hi, I heard uh, Tom Slyer talk about two weeks ago, and he said that there's a billion dollars, I believe he's referring to the Koch brothers, a standing fund to support candidates who will not do anything about carbon pollution. And so I'm wondering if any of your companies, aside from just having a good green record on your own, do you want to get into that fray of putting money to support candidates who are green? Oh, we, your we political support, shops would that. love 
Um, <laughs> uh, well, certainly, you're going to put some of your corpus of cash, Gary. Well, yeah. Indeed. And, and, and there, are, there are ways that companies do unite around both supporting uh, legislators who are trying to move rational policy and policies in general. Um, we're, we're a member of something called uh, BICEP, which stands for Businesses for Innovative Climate and Energy Policy. Um, and that is a way for us to collectively work together, particularly at the federal level, but increasingly at the state level, um, to, to give support to those legislators and those policies that we think are in line with um, some of our own objectives. Um, you know, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big competitor to, to those points of view. But, but again, um, I think there's a good argument, and we've seen some good movement um, by taking this sort of collective approach and, and showing that it's not just one wacky Silicon Valley company that thinks this is a good idea. Um, it actually is the voice of some of the biggest companies in the world. When I interviewed Texas Governor Rick Perry, I asked him about climate science, which is easy to dismiss, and I mentioned that climate declaration that lots of large companies have signed, and it's a lot harder for someone like uh, Rick Perry to dismiss uh, General Motors than it is to dismiss some scientists. Let's go to our next question. Welcome. I wanted to know if Greenpeace is involved in the strange, strange red state coalition in Georgia and Florida in which Tea Party folks are joining with environmentalists in the area to advocate for uh, rooftop solar being able to feed back into the grid. Are you guys involved in that? Green tea, a very interesting uh, political <laughs> phenomenon. Very, yes, yeah. the Green Tea Party. Green Tea, there's a, there's a woman from, uh, there's a leader from Georgia I'd love, love to get here at Climate One. Gary Cook? Yeah, we've still been watching that with, with great interest. Uh, you see in the south, and I'm, you can't may not tell from Max, I'm originally from Birmingham, uh, but there's a lot of you know, merging of interest on um, people who want to have uh, more access. They're really tired of the utility bills going up and up, and they want clean energy. And so there, you've seen a marriage, you know, begin to form where they're actually pushing, you know, from the right and from the left for the same thing, which is great. And we're starting to see some of that in North Carolina as well. You have, you know, same sort of setup. In a lot of, a lot of places in the South, you have you know, monopoly utilities, no choice, very poor access to renewables, and the utility wants to keep it that way. And you're having people who are tired of that, and they want to have better options. They want to have renewable energy. Georgia is a great example. We're hoping that will spread. We sort of see that a bit in other parts of the country as well. Thank you for the question. Next question. Welcome. Hi, this question is for Bill. Um, for a growing technology company that cares considerably about sustainability, what do you think an appropriate size is for them to reach before they hire somebody who's full-time dedicated to evangelizing sustainability within the company? I don't know if I can point to a single, sure. you know, I mean, Facebook, when I joined, was 3,000-ish people. When I joined Google, they were at six or seven. Um, I think that if it's something you care about, you can start working on it and thinking about it part-time. Um, I think in the end, what you want is not, in fact, a sustainability team, one or several people off in a corner or in a closet somewhere, you know, <laughs> being a pest. But you really want to in, embed it in the, the DNA and the operations of the company yeah. um, so that it's something that is just part of what you do every day and what every team does. Lori Duvall, but a lot of startup companies are worried about growing fast, making their numbers, keeping their VCs happy, and there's a premise of we can grow now, clean up later. True? Well, you can do that, but, but having mostly worked within established companies and trying to corner often the aircraft carrier size uh, operation, you know, I, I think that that's um, very short-sighted, honestly. I think that 
Um, especially even in these small companies, like the last question, um, if they're not managing their own facilities, they're probably hiring a company that does. And there are plenty of very large facility management companies that already speak the language of sustainability and sustainable operations that they can jumpstart that conversation. Because um, particularly when you're, when you're in a business where not only do you have environmental risk, but you have other sorts of social risk around just your business model, um, you're incredibly short-sighted to not think of that up front in how you just build and also attract your talent. A lot of people really care about the, the core values of the company they go to work for, even in a startup culture. And so that's very important. And often that's why they initially get interested in it is because the people who want to come work there are asking them those questions. Yeah, okay. really, really important point because I think Gary Cook. Uh, you know we can't have the path where every, you don't let's start to look at sustainability issues until you've gotten you've you've caught the bus so to speak you become uh, you had your IPO and then you could deal with these things because right now you know, in in this town and many parts of the of the valley you know the startups they're getting you know they're, they're they don't have a capital budget they you know so they go get buy a service from Amazon. Or they could buy somewhere else. So I think right now their their options are different than you have over Facebook, where you're building your own data centers or Yahoo. But you do have a choice in the marketplace. So it's really important to be prioritizing that early because once you get into, uh, you, you actually you're successful and you go to be a big company. We as a society can't afford that pathway to then sort of then retrofit. We need to be heading in the, down that path from the beginning. And and five years ago there weren't good options. Right. Um, so if you didn't have a full-time person, it was going to be very hard to do much. Today, you don't need a full-time person when you're small. You just need to pay attention to the issue when you make decisions, like should we host with Amazon or Google or Microsoft or Rackspace, Greg, as you guys just moved, moved to Rackspace. You can make those choices partly based on which one will be more sustainable, which one will be uh, financially better, and, and so on. Gary Cook, you're playing so nicely with corporations. I'm wondering if some of the Greenpeace supporters think you've got a little squishy on corporate America and that you should be landing on the roofs and, and doing the old school tactics that Greenpeace was known for. We, we still do that. We've done that with you know, some of the companies on, that, on the stage here uh, you know, and certainly with companies in the, in the Valley as well. So we, we are a catalyst. Uh, we're trying to you know, be a catalyst to get these companies to embrace uh, the challenge of being sustainable. Uh, and we've done that with data centers. We've done that also in the Valley with uh, companies, electronic manufacturers. And we, we play both sides. We, you know, when we, in 2009, we had, a, uh, we had, had seen HP roll back on some of their commitments to phase out chemicals from their products. And so we went on their building. We pasted, pasted hazardous products on top of their headquarters. They didn't like that, but about, you know, later that week, we were back in there talking to them again, figuring out how do we get them on a pathway where they're you know, honoring their commitments. And you know, six months later, we were honoring them in a way because we saw big progress. So we have no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. It's really about you know, what is the company doing. We don't, we don't, we don't, we're a fully independent organization. We don't take money from corporations. We don't take money from government. We look at what they, their actions and uh, you know, act accordingly. And you've graded these companies, and some people graded Greenpeace recently for an, an action that, that happened down in, uh, in Peru during, during the conference, you know, UN Climate Summit, where Greenpeace did some things. Some people might give an F. Yeah, we definitely get an F for that, for sure. That was uh, an action that really should not have happened. It was against Greenpeace policy and something we've unfortunately... Uh, you want to say know, briefly what it was? Sorry, the action that was uh, 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 in Peru uh, where, the, where the conference of the parties was, there was an uh, ancient... Uh, indigenous um, 
ruin, or basically, you know, looking from the air, it was the, the hummingbird, and we did an action where we're really trying to highlight, uh, you know, the, the need for action at the climate negotiations, but it was really um, against our policy and, and it shouldn't have happened, and there's been, you know, concern that as a result of us putting a, a banner that it damaged the, the ruin. So that was something that, uh, to be honest, you know, really quite uh, ashamed of and really trying to address to make sure it doesn't happen again. Gary Cook is a policy analyst with Greenpeace. Let's have our next question. So a lot of you have focused on um, interventions or motivation for change uh, coming from sort of a branding and marketing perspective. But I'm curious what you think the appropriate roles are for governments and regulators. Who will admit they like government here? Um, Christina Page? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about regulation is you're creating a basically some predictability in, in that case. You know, when you have regulations that tell you things, the direction things are going to move in, then that's helpful to companies because you're not operating in uncertainty. Um, I think we'd like those regulations to be as consistent as possible so we can uh, build strategy accordingly. And I think government regulations are extremely helpful for sustainability and environmental protection. It's, it's hard to avoid that. The best ones are sort of collaboration and partnerships um, where, you know, Laura, you, you guys are doing great work on that in Utah, where, uh, where you get to work together and come up with some really thoughtful legislation. Corporations want to go at incremental change that's comfortable. Some people, scientists would certainly say, change needs to happen faster. Can that happen without dramatic government action? Because if it goes, change only happens at the comfortable corporate pace, it may not be fast enough. Christina Page? Comfortable corporate pace is not how I would describe Silicon Valley. <laughs> uh, I'm with her. Yeah. Okay. So you think you're going as fast as you can. The government can't make you go faster. Yeah, I think innovation, you see a lot of innovation here in Silicon Valley. Again, getting back to things like financial innovation around renewable energy. You've got four different ways that you could invest today in a wind farm in Texas, for example, you know, which is not true five years ago, six years ago. <clears throat> um, that's not because of regulation. That's because of somebody saying, hey, how can we make money or protect investment or grow green power because we really believe in it um, and coming up with a solution? That's not something that is mandated by a bill. That's somebody getting really creative and acting ahead of legislation. Fair enough. Silicon yep. Valley may be going fast. Other parts of the economy might need right. a little kick in the rear from government. Uh, Gary Cook, and then we'll... Yeah, we absolutely have to have change of policy, and we really need to have stronger leadership from companies who believe in climate change, believe in the need for more renewable energy. I mean, taken in a different context, you saw this past week where you had grassroots activists and the IT sector really push, you know, a big win in, in D.C., which is, you know, kind of rare these days, on net neutrality. And, had, and it, you know, that still, uh, story will still be told there, but we actually had, you know, big companies and a lot of grassroots activists saying, we want a free Internet. And we need to see, you know, the same way companies really weighing in, well, we want clean energy, because we have to change the rules. The status quo rules are really geared towards the utilities, and the status quo, and so we need to unlock renewable energy in places where it's not unlocked, and we need to have 
companies uh, you know, follow through on their commitments. So we don't expect companies to solve this all on their own. We need to have a change in policy. So that's a big part of how we evaluate whether a company is green or not. Are they actually using their influence to change the policy? Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who's joined us here today. Gary Cook is a senior policy analyst with Greenpeace International. Lori Duvall is the global director of Green at eBay. Christina Page is the global director of energy, sustainability, and strategy at Yahoo. And Bill Weil is sustainability guru at Facebook. I'm Greg Dalton. I'd like to thank our audience here in the room at the Commonwealth Club online and on air. You can join the conversation on Twitter using our handle at Climate One. Thank you all for joining us today. Climate One is the sustainability initiative at the Commonwealth Club of California, a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. Jane Ann Chen is the producer, and Alyssa Kerr is our assistant producer. The audio engineer is John Rieger, with help from Will Llewellyn. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Join us next week for a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment.